chapter 7. Hebrews 7, verse 23 to the end. Furthermore, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the Son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the word of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 46 onwards. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you would open up our ears, our hearts, to hear what you alone are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please be seated? Can I just uh, forewarn you, Dennis, later on I'd want the gospel reading up again later on. Who is your God, saints? Who is your God? That's the question I want us to address today. In a world beset with uncertainty, with trials, tribulations like the pandemic. In a world facing a climate change emergency apparently. As well as geopolitical shifts which may change the world as we've known and experienced it. Who is your God? 
Who and what are you placing your trust and faith in? What indeed can you expect from him? A friend of mine reminds me from time to time that he'll always remember that at a low point in his life, at a Christian conference, I reminded him that Jesus died for him while he was still a sinner. Jesus died for him while he was still a sinner. And Romans 5, 8 puts it like this. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? He didn't die for you because you were perfect. He didn't die for you because you'd already repented and turned to follow him. He didn't die for you because you're such a good person. You do so many good things for other people. No. I thank God that he died for you and for me while we were still sinners. Still following the ways of the law, of the world. Still holding God's truths and God's commandments in contempt, perhaps. The fact that Christ died for us while we were still sinners is vital and foundational. Because firstly, it shows us that God loves you and me unconditionally. Unconditionally. God proves his love for us. In that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. People often say to me, I'm not good enough for God. I'm not good enough for God to love me. But you don't have to be good to be loved by God. God loved you, loved me, loved everyone when we were still sinners. And so much so that Christ left heaven to die for you and me. So don't let the enemy deceive you. If God loved you when you were yet a sinner, why shouldn't he love you now that you're a believer? But Christians can fall into that trap, especially when bad things are happening to them. Somebody said to me just yesterday, why is God allowing this to happen to me? I feel like saying, why is God allowing this to happen to me? Doesn't he love me, given I've got this ailment or got cancer? Doesn't he love me, given that I'm faced with this terrible diagnosis? Doesn't he love me, given that I've got this problem and that problem in my relationships, in my life? Brothers and sisters, if God loved you while you were still a sinner, before you invited Jesus into your life, why would he stop loving you when you're a follower of Jesus? It's not, of course, to say that bad things can't happen to you, but they're not from God. Sometimes they result from our own actions and behaviors. Sometimes, of course, the devil shoots arrows to steal, kill, destroy God's children. To make you and I deny our faith in God. We didn't hear the Old Testament reading today, but if you heard it, it was from Job in the Bible, the book of Job. The devil threw everything at Job. Grievous loss of family. All his children were killed. Grievous loss of wealth. He was one of the richest men in his world He lost it all. He lost all his health. He lost his friends who didn't come and encourage him in the right way. You name it, Job lost it. 
But Job never denied God, never denied that God was good. Even when he found out what was happening to him was horrendous. Even when he couldn't understand it. In Job chapter 42, verse 2 onwards, he answers God. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that utters counsel without knowledge, referring to himself? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak, I will question you and you declare to me. That was his challenge to God. But now he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When he's faced with the grandeur, the awesomeness of God, the beauty, the goodness of God, Job is humbled and satisfied that God was good. More than that, he was satisfied that God loved him, notwithstanding all the bad things that he'd experienced. And as Job forgave and prayed for his friends, the Lord, in the end, gave Job twice as much as he had before. Brand new family, wealth again. He was restored. So a lesson from Job for all of us. When things are going badly, it's not that God does not love us or has abandoned us. Remember that when we were living without Jesus, that when we didn't believe in God, he proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. And if you've never accepted Jesus into your life and are wondering how you do so, It's quite straightforward how you accept Jesus into your life. Just say these words after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come and be my Lord and personal Savior. Forgive me my sins. Cleanse me. Sanctify me and make me pure and whole again. If you said that prayer, it means you've accepted Jesus into your life. You've been born again. And come up for prayers after the service or contact us. If you've said that prayer in here today or watching, contact us so we help you with guidance as to the way forward in your new life in Christ. You are loved by God. He loved you before you even invited Jesus into your life. Indeed, as our first reading from Hebrews reminds us, Jesus is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. I repeat that. Jesus is able for all time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's profound, saints. If while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, we are made sinless by his death and resurrection because unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for those of his people. 
This he did once for all when he offered himself. Perhaps those are the most profound three words in the English language. Once for all. Once for all. It always grabs something in me once for all. Tears of gratitude hearing that amazing phrase because Jesus has paid the price for my sins, past, present, and future. Once for all. Such is God's love love, that we're forgiven even the sins we have yet to commit. It's not a license to sin, but it's a comfort, a great comfort to know that when you sin in unintentionally or intentionally, in thought, word and deed, today, later on, let alone tomorrow, it's a comfort to know that he's already forgiven you that sin. It reassures us that when we stumble in future, we don't need to allow the devil to keep us in guilt, to keep us in self-condemnation, to keep us stuck and feeble. We can acknowledge our guilt to God and move forward knowing he's forgiven us, seen us as whole, and sees us as pure. It's why, of course, We have the confession in the Anglican structure of liturgy, the confession every Sunday in absolution, reminding us that though we were forgiven once for all, it's good to acknowledge that we continually sin. The amazing thing is that though we sin, God sees you and sees me like he sees his own son, Jesus. He sees you as pure, perfect, blameless, Holy. Because once for all, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for your sin. I've never forgotten an illustration someone once sent me by email. Actually, it was a cousin of Anthea's I I discovered. And I I went through my computers to say, where is this thing? And thank God for search engines. Because it came up with this email. About 10, 10, 12 years ago she sent it. And I'll read it to you because it illustrates this point so well. One rainy afternoon, I was driving along one of the main streets of town, taking those extra precautions necessary when the roads are very wet and the rain is just tipping down. Suddenly, my daughter Aspen spoke up from her relaxed position in her seat. Dad, I'm thinking of something. This announcement usually meant she had been pondering some fact for a while and was now ready to expound all that her six-year-old mind had discovered. I was eager to hear. What are you thinking, I asked. The rain, she began, is like sin. And the windscreen wipers are like God wiping our sins away. After the goosebumps raced up my arms, I was able to respond. That's really good, Aspen. Then my curiosity broke in. How far would this little girl take this revelation? So I asked, do you notice how the rain keeps on falling? What does that tell you? Aspen didn't hesitate one moment with her answer. We keep on sinning 
And God just keeps on forgiving us. I will always remember this whenever I turn my wipers on. Perhaps we should add Jesus represents the wipers always by one act wiping away our sins. Remember this verse earlier. Jesus is able for all time to save those who approach God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He never stops interceding for us. And that's wonderful. Further proof of his love, unconditional love for you and me. So I ask you again, who is your God? Who is your God? The God who loved us while we still were sinners and who died for our sins past, present and future. But there's even more about his love revealed to us in the story of Bartimaeus in our gospel reading. You see, when Jesus comes in, every prayer request becomes a testimony of God's love. Indeed, Revelation 19 puts it like this, the testimony of Jesus It's the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus did for blind Bartimaeus, he can do again for you because he loves you and desires the very best for you. What is required is for us to approach Jesus in the same way blind Bartimaeus did. So Dennis, can we have the gospel reading up again right at the beginning, verse 46. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Just leave it there. Where are you positioned in relation to Jesus? Maybe like blind Bartimaeus, you've never met him, but you've heard of him. Maybe that's why you're here today. You've heard of him. You've come to inquire, who is this Jesus? Or did you once know of him? Or even know him, but have moved a long way off? Are you willing to position yourself to meet him? Are you willing to give him space for him to come by? If we can have the next verse up, please. When they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus because someone was willing to tell him. Might you actually be the person to tell that person at school, that person in your office, that person you work with, that family member who needs to hear about Jesus And meet him. Or maybe if you are hearing about him, are you curious enough about him to want him to come to you? Are you willing to articulate your need for him? Willing to cry out to him, God, I don't know you, but come, come and help me. To shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Are you willing to articulate your need? Uh, we're blessed. We're blessed with doctors, GPs, hospitals. But all too often we run for the paracetamol, we've got a headache. Are we willing to actually cry out to God and say, God, I need your healing? 
We're blessed. Don't get me wrong. My parents were both doctors. Modern science is great and brings healing. But are we willing to cry out to him, to articulate our need to him? We can have the next verse, please. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many things will conspire to dissuade you from crying out to God. Past disappointments. Disappointments is often things Christians bear. Well, I prayed and I didn't get the answer I wanted. And so that's it. I'm not praying again. And maybe our level of expectation just dissipates because nothing happened in the past, so I'm not going to bother in future. Or maybe we've got well-meaning friends or family say, you've just got to accept things as you are. You've got this incurable disease, or you've got this or that. or You've just got to accept things as they are. Don't be unrealistic. This is how it is. Just get on with life. You're never going to get healed. Things are never going to get changed. Don't kid yourself. Whether they are like the voices who said to Bartimaeus, be quiet, be quiet. Next verse, please. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. So, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. But how do you know God's calling you? Bartimaeus was lucky. There were people saying, he's calling you. Well, you have people around you. Sometimes God will use even other unbelievers to call you. To say that word which strikes you like a revelation. And you know that God is speaking to you. It may be through something you're reading. It doesn't even have to be religious. It could be a novel. It could be a Bible passage on the other hand. But God can use anything and any situation to catch our attention. I've shared before how he's spoken to me through operas before. I'm in the middle of the opera and my literally goosebumps hair rise because I realize that through even the plot of what's going on, He's speaking to me about situations or issues in my life. God can use anything. And you learn to recognize who or what God is using to try and catch your attention. Next verse, please. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Well, often God wants us to be specific in our requests. There's no need for false modesty with Father. He can read your hearts and your thoughts. He knows them before you speak them. No need for false modesty. Don't have this attitude, which sometimes we have. God knows where to find me. I've, I've asked in the past. Nothing's happened. He knows where to find me. Well, God knows what I need. Well, he does know. But he's not going to presume or force himself on you. He could see Bartimaeus was blind, couldn't see. But he still asked him. He wants you to work with him. He's made you an independent, sentient being. You can think, 
you can articulate. And amazingly, he treats us virtually as equals, though we have no right of ourselves to be treated as such. Next verse, please. Then Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Because Bartimaeus had faith, he believed that Jesus was good, believed that Jesus could heal him, that Jesus wanted to heal him, he received the healing he sought. Do we have the faith to believe like Bartimaeus? That God has the answer to every problem we have. That what God cannot do does not exist. That God loves us so much that he not only died for us while we were still sinners, but that he wants us to have the best of life in this human existence. Not when we die and go to heaven, but right now. Because often we give up, don't we? We say, I've got to live with this. No, you don't. You don't have to live with anything. Till your dying breath, continue to cry out to him because he's a faithful God. And Jesus himself told us the parable of the, women, of the widow who knocked at the door of the judge and was persistent until she got her answer. That what God cannot do does not exist. God is the God of the impossible. And so we can cry out to him till our final breath with faith. Be encouraged by these words from Romans 4, 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. He saved you and me while we were still sinners. Now we believe in him. Why should he not answer our prayers and give us life abundant in the here and now? Why should the God who loves us, who is good, want to deny us the rewards of faith in him? Who is your God? Who is your God? Well, a song that has really captivated from when I heard it on YouTube earlier this year captures the wonder of who our God is. And I'm going to read the words first and then we're going to have it as a piece of music after this. And we're going to worship and, and I hope, do battle in the heavens with that song. Because this is the God I worship. Now, we have some folk in our congregation from Nigeria. I hope they know the words. Uh, there are a few words in Yoruba. I think that's the language. I, I don't know the Yoruba. I might have the Biomi. I understand it's a Yoruba name, but I was born and brought up in Sierra Leone. But you will understand it, and there will be um, uh, words on the screen as well for you to join in if you can. But let me read it to you, because they sum up who God is. You are good. You are kind. You are more than these. I'm lost for words trying to describe you. Elohim, Elion, Elisa Lewe, he who does what he has said. Your greatness is all I see. There is nothing you cannot do. There's no mountain you cannot move. If you have said it, then you will do it. Because you have a track record of keeping your word. And you're not about to stop doing it now. 
God of the universe, you are mighty. God of the universe, Olurun Agbaye, you are mighty. You are the one who is wrapped with clouds. I'm not going to try and pronounce this. You are the one who is wrapped with clouds. You are mighty. Olurun Agbaye, you are mighty. By the blood that you shed, we have overcome, discharged and acquitted for life. Isn't that wonderful? Discharged and acquitted for life. Then you gave us the right to your holy name, the scepter of power and strength. There is nothing you cannot change. There's no bondage you cannot break. If you have said it, then you will do it. You have a track record of keeping your word, and you're not about to stop doing it now. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are mighty. Oluran Agbaye. Well, let's stand. And we're going to stand. It's about roughly, the clip is about seven minutes long. Towards about four minutes on, and I'd encourage you, as you get to grip with the words, just to sing, join in. The words will be on the screen as well. Most of it is in English. And when it reaches a stage where it's, it's purely in Yoruba, I presume, and things like that, then pray in tongues, pray in, in German, Swiss German, pray in whatever it is, pray in whatever language comes to you, pray in English, pray in Latin. But let's pray out aloud and give thanks to the God who can do all things well. So thanks, Dennis. Let's hope.